Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, to welcome you. Um, I'm excited to reflect on, on scripture with you. I, 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 I'm told there's like a game today. I don't know. Uh, I, uh, I, wore, I wore my chief's colors, my green and maroon, and uh, just uh, show, my, show my support. Um, so I know that none of you or many of you uh, aren't going to hear anything else that happens, and you're just going to be mindful of the ticking of uh, the passing of time. And uh, I, 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 uh, I might honor that um, this morning. I, I did think maybe it would be fitting as we continue this series, When Love Comes to Town. Again, so we've, uh, in the season of Advent, moving towards Christmas Eve, we stepped into the passage in John chapter 1 where he tells us the word became flesh and made his home with us. And so out of that Christmas hope now, we have continued into John's gospel to look at stories that he gives us, moments in the life of Christ that, that um, show us, as John presents the narrative to us, show us this is what it means. This is what it looks like when God makes his home with you. And actually, John is helpful because he's explicit. He sort of frames his story around some signs that, that he, he, he explicitly identifies and says, this is a sign. This is meant to show us, readers and the people of his day, show us something about Jesus. And today we're into the, to, to another one of those moments. But uh, as a way into it, I thought uh, it would, this would be a fitting weekend. I, I read a, a rather long piece on Coach Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs. This morning. So, so last week I spent a lot of time talking about the Hobbit and Middle Earth, and I recognize for many of you that's a great place. Some of you are like, right? So today I'm going to talk about sports, right? And uh, the the half of the room that checked out last week, maybe uh, I don't want to over uh, sim- simplify or categorize. So maybe you enjoy both of these spaces. But this long form sort of piece on Andy Reid was was really uh, interesting. Uh, again, for those of you that uh, maybe uh, Kansas City is obviously for all of us home, uh, but uh, you know a bit of the, the story, of the history of, of the Kansas City Chiefs in, in more recent years, uh, the, the Chiefs had experienced some, uh, some trauma, a, a bit of, of trauma and trouble uh, in and around the team. And that story, uh, there was loss of life and, and will be familiar to, to many of you. Uh, if you know uh, Coach Andy Reid's story as well, and the author of this article, just kind of talk profiling Andy Reid, know that, that his life as well had been full of a bit of, of trauma and loss. Uh, that he had himself uh, in his family experienced uh, a bit of trouble. And, and the, uh, the writer of this article is kind of talking about those themes, those threads, kind of in, in, in these two sort of concurrent trajectories and how they had come together now. Now Coach Reed had, had found himself at home uh, with the Chiefs. And uh, he talked about actually a moment of interview where Reed is talking about, they're, obviously they're asking him all these kinds of questions, and it was a jump for Coach Reed, as I understand it, given some of the family uh, tragedy he had experienced experience, like how would he engage with work and what would that be like? And uh, his response in that moment I thought was was interesting that uh, he, he had said, you know, uh, in reference to the chiefs, they'd gone through some stuff. He said they had gone through some things. I went through some things. So maybe we're a good match, right? Uh, just a, I, I thought it was an interesting sort of uh, expression of humility, a recognition his life had been broken. And, uh, you know, as an organization, the Chiefs had experienced that, that same kind of trouble had touched them as well. And he's like, maybe, you, you can almost hear it, you know, maybe we're a good match. There'll be a bit of grace for each other uh, here. 
And the author of the article, again, goes on to reflect and talk about uh, the jump that he made here and uh, some of the decisions that he made that have been received with some, sometimes with a bit of, um, they haven't been without controversy. And one of those decisions kind of, I think it's uh, a, a continuation of a similar theme that we've just heard from his life. But one of those uh, decisions has been the way in which he has worked with, with uh, troubled players. Uh, that the way in which he is sort of brought in and they went through a list of examples and not all of them have worked out and some of them there have been consequences and they've had to move along, but, but that he has had a knack for, uh, in a sense, working with uh, players who themselves had experienced uh, brokenness and tragedy and maybe they were themselves living, uh, per- perpetrating or, or living that out in, in their own uh, way. And so the author, again, is just kind of reflecting on that and talking about the different reactions to Reed's approach, and uh, but made the observation that in the midst of like some of the controversy around these decisions, players that he has chosen to, to work with, and and in a sense uh, uh, just you know give a second chance to uh, the, the author says that if you talk to Reed's uh, coach Andy Reed's, uh, I'll be like my dad and refer to celebrities on a first name basis. If you talk to Andy, uh, I give my dad a hard time for doing that all the time, but he's real good friends with Tom. You pick your Tom, uh, Cruz, Hanks. Uh, but, uh, you, know, you know, if you talk to Andy, he said if you talk to the friends closest to, to, to Coach Reed, their, their reaction to that is a little bit different. Uh, it doesn't really uh, evoke kind of the, the controversy that they see a man uh, who knows that kind of doing bad things in a sense didn't make them bad people, but these were people in need of, of um, a, a chance, in a sense, and then made this observation that has stuck uh, with me. They see a man in Coach Reed who believes people are worthy of redemption. They see a man in Coach Reed who believes people are worthy of redemption, and we're right back to where we started last week with Smaug and the Hobbits and Middle Earth, and my daughter wanting to redeem a dragon. Right, that that it's the same uh, theme, and, and and it's a theme that we will see run right through the story that we heard read this morning. How uh, that when God when God uh, makes His home with us, that that all of that that movement of God uh, becoming flesh and dwelling with us is a movement towards redemption. That, that he is working to redeem his people and his world. And John's gospel will make this point over and over again. And I think it's, it's if you will, it's, it's like musically, it's like a variation on a theme. It'll, it will, we'll hear maybe different notes this morning, but, but the theme will be the same. The theme will be that when God moves into your neighborhood and mine, as Tyler began the conversation for us, he is, he is coming to work redemption. He's coming to work Redemption, redeeming what is lost or what is broken, but ultimately redeeming what is dead, what cannot be fixed or resuscitated on our own, that when God moves into the neighborhood, he comes to redeem. And this passage, I think, brings us right, in, right into it as well. Uh, as we step into the reading this morning, again, it's, I think it's probably natural if you're, if you're like me, Oh, I pray for you, and uh, if, if probably most of us, as we read a story like this, uh, we 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 probably are drawn uh, to the to the nobleman in this passage. If we could just put the first bit of it up there, but we're probably drawn to the uh, to the situation in which this nobleman finds himself. His son is sick, right? His son is sick, and it's beyond his ability or means or knowledge 
to, to fix. He, he is in, in a sense, uh, over his head. And, and I, think, I think our eyes are probably drawn naturally so to this particular person in this story. I mean, if, 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 if again, I, I think it's a healthy practice as you read scripture to kind of place yourself in the shoes of, of some of the people in the scene. And I think naturally we are, this is where we go. We, we, we are drawn to him because he is desperate for help. And many of us, whether we know it or not, whether we admit it or not, this is our situation. We are desperate for help. We, 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 we are either, right, on our way into, in or on our way out of moments where we know what it's like to be desperate for help, to need something outside of our means and, and knowledge and ability uh, to, to, to redeem. We need help from outside. And here is a man uh, right again, just right on the nose of this passage, where we're drawn into a, a moment, a, a circumstance of desperation. The things uh, are broken in his life beyond his control, circumstances for which maybe, uh, like him, you ache and long for a solution or for a remedy, for things that are broken to, to be made right, things that are sick to be made well. Maybe this is a space that resonates with you. I don't think we're wrong. I don't think we're wrong to resonate with that feeling in this passage, to place ourselves, place yourself in the position of that nobleman, desperate, needing help for things to be made better. My hunch is you, you probably now are going to those places in your thought and in your life, places that you are hungry for someone to intervene. I, I think as we step into those shoes in this passage, it's, it's interesting to me, Jesus's reaction. All right. So in, in this moment, we see it here at the heart of this passage, uh, right, right in verse 49, the official said to him, so this nobleman comes desperate, right? He's heard word of Jesus. We don't really know what he knows, but he's like, maybe this guy. And he comes to him. Will you come down? Will you come? And in a sense, Jesus says, no, right? He says, no, you go, right? You, you can go. So we see right here, sir, uh, come down, come with me, come, come before my child dies. And Jesus says to him, go, you go. In a sense, like I'm not coming. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. You, you go. Right, so you see the nuance here, right? Uh, he says, come. Jesus says, no, you go. Your son will live. And, and Jesus sends him away, turns him around. He says, yes, at the end of the passage, he, he goes his own way, makes his way. Jesus sends him on his way with nothing but a word of promise. Right, this man has to walk away from this moment desperate for help. Jesus, come. And Jesus sends him, turns him around and, and sends him off with nothing but a a word of, of hope and promise. And, and I want to suggest to you again, maybe, I think this is the space, this is, this is the moment of real life for all of us, right? It's, it's, it's this space, right? It's such a small moment in the story. We jump right to the miracle and the woohoo, right? But, but it's, it's this really brief interval in the narrative where we live the bulk of our lives. Somewhere between a word of hope and promise from God and, and, and the difficulty of all of the situations to which we step into every day. 
that this is where this is where we live. It's it's where faith kind of leaves the spectacular, right? Which we'll see in just a moment, and and is lived in just the, the kind of mundane obedience of trust, right? That one step after another, this guy has to turn and leave with nothing but a word of, of hope. That he's going to step out of kind of this moment, but he's going to step into, right, all of the broken spaces of his life and yours. We, 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 we take one step after another, headed towards unclear or uncertain outcomes. In this moment, he didn't know. He's trusting, he's believing, but he doesn't know how this will resolve at this moment in the narrative. All he has is a word of encouragement and hope from Jesus. The promise that Jesus says, I will work life. Go, go. And, and, and I think probably, I, I would want to encourage you, if that's a space you are in now, I don't know what those things might be for you. Some of them tangible, some of them material, but, but there is this invitation here in this moment to, to, to admit or acknowledge that that space is okay. That this is the place where faith sort of finds its feet, if you will. I, I wonder what this guy's walk home or back was like, right? Was it a, I mean, it was some distance, the scholars think, and, you know, was it a full sprint, right? Was he like, all right, I got the word, I better hurry back, and he's just like taken off, or, or did his tempo, did his pace like ebb and flow, right? Really excited, did he have moments of discouragement where the next step might have been a little harder than the previous one, or was it all full of hope? You know, I, I, I don't know, but I do know my experience, and probably yours, is that that walk for us, that daily one step after the next into whatever uncertain outcomes we are asking God to change uh, can ebb and flow. That sometimes we step with determination and faith and courage, but sometimes just taking the next step is so incredibly hard. I read a story this week uh, uh, about a guy named Nelson uh, a Nelson Mendoza, and uh, he had been in and out of uh, prison, a cycle of a couple of years, drug addiction and incarceration. And he was writing, they were interviewing him and, and, uh, in, this, in this article, uh, interviewing him about his experience. But the headline caught my attention that he had found, like, life in knitting. And uh, I was like, oh, interesting, right? I'm looking for a new hobby. And, uh, uh, but, he, but, he, but it was his expression, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, uh, it's just an analogy. Analogies only go so far. I don't want to really equate the redemption Jesus is working in you and me to, to, to just knitting, but listen to the way he spoke about that experience. So he's in this cycle of addiction and brokenness and needing, needing something to change. And uh, he had taken up a knitting program while in, in prison, knitting, knitting beanies for uh, the homeless community to, to stay warm where he was. And he'd been released in July and uh, continued like wanted to continue this and formed a group uh, to continue to help people in need. But while knitting, this is what he says. He says, while knitting, I realized that I couldn't cut corners, that I had to follow every step one at a time over and over and over and over again. And, and I think that sometimes uh, I hear in that, again, I don't want to sort of reduce what Jesus has done, but, man, those kids are having a great time back there. Uh, we, yeah, we, uh, yeah, anyway, all right. <laughs> uh, we'll, we're going to work on some acoustics here, but uh, thanks, for your, thanks for your patience. So, um, 
yeah, here's what I think, that sometimes uh, everyone next week is going to sit from like here over, I think. But uh, I, I think uh, that, that this moment for the nobleman, and maybe for you, in our experience of a word of hope from Jesus, it's a bit like knitting, that, that you just have to take one step after the next. And we can't cut corners to the solution that we're, we're aching for and longing for, but, but that there is, this, there is this path that this man walks that we are pulled into in our reading this morning. The hope and promise that Jesus gives him, I am working redemption. But he has to turn and walk away with nothing but the faith and hope uh, that Jesus has heard him and will move. And, and I think, again, it's an interesting place. It's a moment when faith is grounded. It's sort of taken out of the realm of the spectacular, right? We want the, you know, we want, which we'll see in just a moment, the sort of wow factor of miracles. But where we find this man in this moment is a, is a sort of grounded faith and just a mundane sort of obedience, one step after another, God, I, I, I hear this word of promise for you. I don't know where this is headed, but I will take the next step. And I think this moves us, this shifts us just a little bit in the reading, right? So this is the particulars of this man's story. This is where we like to sort of find our feet. Maybe you are in a moment of desperation and, and just waiting for God to work something. And in that space, I hope you hear some encouragement that in our desperation, God gives us a word of hope, and it's okay to just take the next step. But Jesus, in his response, he does something else uh, interesting here. So if, as John does over and over again, we want to identify with the nobleman, but John is very quick to sort of bring our eyes back to Jesus, right, over and over again to help us see him more clearly. And he does it here. And, and I think what we see here is that is that, yes, we are all broken, and we need God to, to make some things right in our lives, just as this nobleman did. But Jesus, his response to him sort of shifts the focus in that, yes, like love has come to town. God has made his home with us, but not just to fix what is broken. He has come to save us. And, and I think there is a, a difference here. If, I, if you would allow me to kind of lean into my Georgia a little bit. Like when love comes to town, it, it, it comes because we need more than fixing, right? We, we need saving, right? We, we don't just need him to sort of kind of fix up the things in our life that are broken. And those are real and intense as we see in this story. But Jesus says, yes, those, those things I want to address, but, but, but it, it, I want to do more than that. And, and we see it uh, in his reaction. That's almost confrontational in the story this morning. Right? Uh, if we could put that passage back up, he, he says, right, so the man comes, you make me well. And, and Jesus like, tur- like turns to the crowd in, in the course of this conversation uh, and says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. You will not believe. And uh, again, it just it feels like uh, a little detached and callous, right? Jesus, here is this man in desperate need. And what, what, not, not only do you sort of not come, you, you send him on his way with, with a word of hope, but, but what, what is this, right? This is almost a rebuke here. It is, I think, helpful that this language, we don't hear it uh, maybe quite as clearly, but it's, it's plural. He's sort of, kind of speaking to the group, you people, you folks, right? All, all of you, right? You, you're clamoring for signs and wonders. You need them to believe. And uh, I think it's, it's in there for the benefit of John's hearers, but for us as well. And I think sort of zooming out on the passage a little bit will help us uh, in, into this 
um, moment. Well, he tells us right at the beginning that Jesus came again to Cana and Galilee. Again, because in John's gospel, he's already been there. It's where Tyler started with us a couple of weeks ago at a wedding. He had worked a sign and brought life and, and made wine, uh, made water in, into wine, this beautiful sign intended to foster belief. But then he's in the intervening period between then and, and now in this chapter, he's made his way to Jerusalem. And we saw some of that last week. He cleanses the temple and says, this is a sign, right? This is where uh, I'm going to lay my life, a, a picture of where we're headed. I'm going to lay my life down. Um, and then uh, in, in chapter four, just before this moment, he makes his way to Samaria. So he's been in Canaan, Galilee, and it tells us there's a sign. And in Jerusalem, he did signs and people believed. And he makes his way to Samaria, has this really powerful conversation with a, a woman there who's kind of lost her way and, um, and it tells us, John tells us that she believed and then she went and talked to her townspeople and that they believed and that they believed specifically uh, on the word of, of, of her testimony and, and his at what Jesus had, had said. There's this shift away from kind of a spectacular sign, but they heard the message of, of Jesus, heard what he had said and they believed. And then we turn here, we return to Cana in Galilee, and we hear Jesus now, again, it's this chat about signs. In the two verses just prior to this passage, John is explicit, right? Like all this claiming for a sign and, and the prophet isn't welcome in his hometown, right? That there is this, there's this tension in the story of these examples. Man, these people are loving the signs that Jesus is doing. And because of all of that sort of pizzazz, for lack of a better words. I'm sure there are many better words, but, uh, you know, they are caught up in all of that and loving every minute of it. And now here Jesus finds himself again uh, invited into someone's brokenness to work redemption. And, 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 and he feels the same pull. And you guys are just in it for the, for the spectacular. And, and there is a bit of judgment in there, but I think, I think it's sort of an admission of sort of how we operate. Regardless of our experience, kind of with the supernatural in that respect, now in our Western culture, I think the pull is the same. That if we kind of step back, what I, again, I use our imaginations just a, a little bit here. It it feels a bit like you know Jesus is, is is pushing back. He's clearly pushing back against the kind of you just kind of caught up in the the spectacular sort of nature of what's happening here, and you're missing what I'm really trying to say. On one sense, we might say, I mean, you're just kind of caught up in fixing all the problems and totally missing the point that I have come to save you. But, but I, I do think maybe more broadly um, that it does, the, the word I want to use is I, it feels a bit like Jesus is pushing back against anything that would, that would try to sort of make him expedient. What I mean by that is, is where we kind of like, uh, you know, see what he can do and realize its value for productivity, perhaps in my life. Ah, if you could just fix this space, and and we, we kind of like, we, there's an opportunity here. If you'll indulge me again, I thought of Middle Earth and the Ring of Power, right? Uh, where I have lived again for some weeks now. This the storyline over and over again, where uh, there is this sort of there's this potential for strength and change and power here. And over and over again, people are, are pulled towards sort of using it uh, in a way that just, just kind of serves their already ongoing needs and purposes. And I, it feels like Jesus is kind of pushing against that even here. 
you're kind of caught up in all the signs. Maybe you see uh, there, some scholars uh, believe in sort of extra kind of other writings around the New Testament that a couple of well-known um, zealots, and zealots would have been uh, in Jesus' time, you know, like the Jewish religion, sort of different sects. You had Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and one of these groups were zealots, and they were actively fighting for like an overthrow of Roman oppression, right? They're like, enough of this, like we're going to make this happen by force, and you got to wonder, and some believe that Cana was kind of a, a couple of well-known ones in history had, had lived there. And maybe there was this sort of fomenting, like, movement. you got to wonder, right? Again, this, we're using the imagination a bit here. But you could see the temptation, and, and it's articulated explicitly elsewhere in Scripture. Oh, look at what Jesus can do, right? It's caught up in the spectacular. This could be really useful for my already uh, existing agenda and purpose, right? That Jesus is, is kind of pushing against that, that tendency in, in us. Saying, man, you're getting lost in all of this. All of this is here for a singular purpose. Your life and your world are broken by sin, and I have come to save it, to redeem it. I, I, I think about it, again, I, I don't want to, belabor the point, but uh, it, it, it just reminded me of the moment we're in culturally, politically, if you will. Don't often sort of talk about these kinds of spaces, but I, I, just, I just thought uh, there seemed to be some resonance in this feeling in the passage for me. This, this move, and it happens, again, on both sides of the aisle, though more lately, more egregiously, I think, on, on one particular side, where Jesus and, and sort of what he can do kind of fits neatly into our existing agenda. And, and he sort of serves our, our purposes. And, and what he came to do sort of gets lost in all of that. I, uh, I've been, uh, over these last months, uh, well, I was listening to an interview this, this week. Um, his name is Justin Gibney, and uh, he's uh, from uh, the Atlanta area. And has started a campaign called the AND, the AND Campaign. And uh, his goal, again, is from a place of, like, conviction and faith and what Jesus, the gospel, mean. Like, what does this look like in spaces and culture where it's just really divisive, where we kind of sort of, we, we, we just, again, we sort of grab Jesus and attach him to our agendas. And he's like, what, in, in all of that conversation, it seems like the gospel kind of gets lost. So what does it look like to kind of enter into a new space there? And he was just reflecting, again, on, uh, in, in the course of this conversation on, on power. And uh, that, that, again, that pull in us uh, to make Jesus expedient. And I think that's maybe one place where we see it on a kind of a larger scale, right? If I were looking for like a cultural maybe correlation, what was this maybe like in Jesus' time, the temptation to see what he could do and use it to our advantage, right? Uh, maybe kind of in a broad sense, that's a slight Correlation. I don't want to overstate it. But I think the same pool is present personally. That we can compartmentalize and we can, we can kind of think of faith in Jesus as this way to like improve my life. And he does. He works healing for this boy, right? He, he works life. But Jesus says, if that is where we stay, if that is sort of how uh, you engage with me, just you're kind of in it for the spectacular and how maybe this can be expedient for you and your life. And, uh, you know, then, then Jesus says, you're missing the point. I didn't come just to fix the broken spaces in your life. 
almost in a sense, that's an effect of what I really came to do. And that's to redeem you from sin. The sin and brokenness that will follow you into all of your successes, that will be at the root of so many of your failures, uh, that sin, that space in your life when you have to turn and walk away and you take step after step into whatever brokenness may be around you. Jesus said, I didn't just come to fix all that. I came to redeem and save you. And if you're going to sort of reduce me to a, you know, snake oil, right? Like what's the image from Andy Griffith? Anyone? Right? Uh, right? This kind of snake oil salesman that can just sort of like remedy the situations of your life. Jesus says that's, that's to miss the point. And in our humanness, we do it on the big stage and on the small stages of our lives over and over and over again. And here in this moment, in this word of warning, Jesus says, yes, you are in desperate need of help. I know that. And we see his compassion here with this nobleman. I am not, I am not callous to the need in your life. But, he says, I didn't just come to fix you. I came to save you. And we see that movement in the nobleman. It says that, that he, he left believing, but that this moment uh, fostered in him as the passage ends, fostered in him a faith in who Jesus was and what he'd come to do to the extent that his whole household now was caught up and in the message and person of Jesus. It's a beautiful moment in the story. A merciful moment, I think. I mean, just a, sh- a show of God's mercy that he doesn't ignore the broken places. He just doesn't want us to, to stay there, to use him in any way for, for that sort of improvement of our lives, but rather to yield, surrender, kind of lay everything out and down an acknowledgement that he and he alone has come to repair, redeem, bring to life what is dead in ours. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's what he sends this man away with, right? He, he says, no, I'm not coming. You go, trusting my word of life for you, trusting, in a sense, what, what you and I have to do, trusting that Jesus offers life in a way that nothing else around us will, that he offers life. The thing is, I think we we probably come to him often for solutions. And in his grace, he meets us there. But but then uh, he he takes a turn. We come for solutions and we find what he offers is salvation. Because, right, as we've said already, we need more than fixing. We need saving. You guys want to say it with me? No, that's all right. I I won't force that upon you, right? We need more than fixing. We need saving. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.